the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's probably true that almost any community over a certain period of time undergoes changes. But one community in the San Francisco Bay Area has probably seen more than the average Bay Area community. The city of Fremont, once known as predominantly a bedroom community, today is more often considered to be the Silicon Valley of the North, home to any multiplicity of high-tech companies, along with Tesla. In addition to the changing face of the city of Fremont, there's also been a pretty significant change over the last three decades in terms of this community's diversity. So what's it like to minister in a community of this sort? Well, joining us now to offer some personal insights is the senior pastor of Harbor Light Church of the city of Fremont, Pastor Terry Inman. And Pastor Inman, a delight to have you carve out some time for us today. Great to be with you today, Craig. Let's talk a bit about the changes you've seen. As I mentioned, over the course of the last three decades, there's been enormous changes in the city of Fremont, and you have been serving there all throughout this period of time. In fact, nearly three decades as senior pastor there at Harbor Light. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> just just passed a uh, anniversary of 50 years of ordained ministry, and 27 of those have been here at Fremont, and uh, in fact, all but 12 of them have been in the Bay Area. So uh, I have been on the block a little while, and I've seen a lot, seen a lot of those changes you're talking about. And uh, we kind of wake up every morning <laughs> and asking the Lord, how do we how do we minister to this community today? And we've seen a lot of changes over the years, and they've been positive, they've been challenging. But today, we enjoy a church that closely reflects the demographics of our changing community, which is, as you said, very, very diverse. Uh, I think a few years ago, uh, there was a Harvard study done that said Fremont is the most religiously diverse city of its size in America. And, uh, boy, that is certainly true. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's exciting to me. It's also challenging. You know, I'm, the, I'm a son of a missionary. When I was two, we trucked off to Japan right after the war. That's kind of like your your uh, parents taking you as an infant to somewhere like uh, uh, maybe Iraq or somewhere, you know. Uh, so we were up in the mountainous communities where there were no white people. I was the only white child on the streets. So I think there's something inside of me that understands uh, how to connect with diverse ethnicities and cultures. So we've been fortunate to attract people uh, of, of a lot of races and languages. Somebody said there's over 150 languages here in Fremont. It, certainly then that suggests that it's a church that needs to be um, agile, 
needs to be willing to to flex and bend, which sometimes for those of us that have been in the body for many, many years, we know doesn't come all that easily. But I'm I'm struck by the fact that your own background, your dad, as you mentioned, had been a missionary. You've had a heartbeat for missions. And certainly in a community like Fremont, where in many parts of the U.S., if you want to go to the missions field, it usually requires an airplane ticket and a passport. In this case, though, you literally walk out the front door into, as you suggest, one of the most diverse communities with an opportunity to not only reach many people of different cultural and religious and faith backgrounds and linguistic backgrounds, but it, it just seems as if uh, the mission field, certainly for Harbor Light, is right where you're planted in Fremont. Exactly. You know, um, I, I told a group of pastors several years ago, we were meeting with them and just talking about ministry and i said you know if you don't like ethnic food <laughs> turn the lights out and go to the midwest or somewhere because you really have to have a missionary heart to uh, pastor successfully in this community i've seen over the years i've seen churches close because they were they were focusing on one culture uh and were not able to adapt and uh so it, it does it just but you know one thing i think craig that's just true anywhere is that Love just seems to supersede every culture, every language. And when you affirm people, you accept people, and you honor diversity. We really go out of our way to honor people's different culture. We don't feel like – I don't feel like my culture or someone else's culture is is any better than anyone else's. Uh, so we go out of our way to affirm people of that ethnicity and get them involved in leadership and so uh, it's really fun, but it is an adventure every day. And, and certainly, and I mentioned about the necessity to be agile. I, I would wonder, just in terms of your approach to ministry, how has it changed over the last nearly three decades here in Fremont that's allowed you to uh, to be sensitive to not only some of the cultural differences in a diverse community such as this, but as well as to be effective in terms of reaching these people for Christ? Well, I think that, you know, I think we used to think that if we would just kind of put together a, a good enough worship service or program or have the right personalities or the right service or the music or guest speakers or whatever, we would attract people. We were attractional. Build it and they shall come, ministry. as they say, right? Build it and they yeah, shall yeah. come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, that just doesn't work in Fremont. You know, you, you could get all of the Christian celebrities in the world lined up here. Uh, well-known speakers or, or bands or musicians or whatever else. And in, and in our city, most of our people, 75% of our population wouldn't even know who they are. So it, it takes a wholly different, a whole different approach. And so one of the strengths of our church has been very uh, focused on compassion and outreach and, and meeting the needs of, of our community. And so we helped establish a ministry probably, I think, 15, at least 15 years or so ago, uh, called City Serve Compassion Network. And we've got about 30 churches that are actively part of that network. And what we do is we connect people in our local churches with people in the community that have felt needs. That could be anything from tutoring or to to helping, a, a say, a new, a new immigrant get established, uh, taking elderly people to the hospital, mowing someone's lawn, fixing up the just so many different a variety of needs, and so we have a, a an office in the center of our city where where people can call or come, and then we network them with volunteers in our local churches to go out and meet those specific needs. So 
by reaching out to people and meeting their felt needs, we establish these relationships with people who would never come to our church. But we establish a relationship, and over time, the goal is to introduce them to Jesus Christ and get them involved in a local church. So that's been a real strong approach, uh, along with a lot of other outreach things we do. I'll tell you a fun story. Um, Just before COVID-19 hit, I was preaching a uh, six-week series called Out of the Box, focused on compassion focused on uh, reaching out to our, our neighbors and people in the workplace and whatever by responding to people's, like I said, felt needs. And that's a theme that, that it's kind of a broken record around here in our church. But uh, so the theme was out of the box. And wouldn't you know it, just a couple of months later, we were out of the box. I mean, we were we were not meeting in our sanctuary for, you know, I don't know, over a year. I can't remember how long it was now, but it was quite a long time. And we were very sensitive to uh, what our county and what our state were asking us to do. We weren't trying to be, uh, you know, for something. We just felt like let's let's keep people safe and let's just support what what our leaders are telling us about the science of this. And so all of a sudden we're out of the box. And right after that, I was contacted by uh, CityServe International, which is a which kind of developed out of our local CityServe. And uh, they had gotten the contract from the federal government, from the uh, uh, administration at that time, to do the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. And we were one of the, I think, only churches in the Bay Area that were able to participate in that program. And so for, uh, for several months, I think over a year, year and a half, something like that, every other Saturday or so, we were distributing 30-pound boxes of fresh food, vegetables, uh, fruit, dairy products, so on, to over 600 cars that would come through our parking lot. So now we can't have church on Sunday morning, but on Saturdays, we've got 100 volunteers that are out there interacting with our community. Everybody for our community is, is pouring through our parking lot of every religion and every race. And one of the things that we did was, in addition to putting these wonderful boxes of food into their trunk, was uh, we were able to asked their permission to bless them. And everybody was very responsive, very open, and and welcomed it. And so we prayed for them. We even had city council members out here helping us. Some of them were even praying for people. And uh, so it was just a fantastic opportunity. I think we, we probably touched more people in our community during that time when we couldn't meet than when we're meeting. So it, it was just a powerful thing. And we continue to do that through our Compassion Network out we're visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church in the city of Fremont. You know, Pastor Inman, what strikes me about what you've just described in terms of that level of engagement with the local community, and, and I, I must apologize, I don't wish to take all of the wind out of your sails, but but hearing you describe that, I thought, now, where, where does this sound familiar? Where have I, have I read about this or heard about this before? And then I realized what you're essentially describing is the first century church. What you're essentially describing is Christ's ministry on earth. When you think about the fact that every time there is a description within the four Gospels of Christ speaking to a large crowd, it's always preceded by his engagement with the community 
healing, restoring sight to the blind, giving you know the lame person the capacity to walk once again. Christ demonstrating sensitivity toward felt needs. And so if we look at that as an example of how the modern-day church can and should be operating, I mean, it, it, it sounds a little hollow to say to a person who's on a street who doesn't know where their next meal is coming from, who is struggling to care for their family because of a loss of a job or COVID, whatever the circumstances might be. It seems hollow to say, God really loves you, and then to leave them in that condition. And so it sounds like what you really captured here is a sense of using that model that very Christ himself gave the church as a means of demonstrating in a practical way God's love, because once you're able to meet those felt needs, it seems to almost be a, a, a smooth and contiguous transition into being able to address, the, address then their spiritual needs. Do you, do you find that to be true? Exactly. I think that we would see some of the same cars repeating, coming back through the parking lot. And as they did, they would kind of warm up after a few more weeks. And pretty soon they would be asking for prayer. And then right in the middle of it, we had something really exciting happen. Uh, there's a there's a, a corporation in uh, Colorado called uh, oh I can't remember the name of it. they make these they make these boxes for your for your phone you know to protect your phone. But anyway, big corporation and and one of the leaders in that corporation is a believer, and he was having these small booklets printed, leather bound booklet, which is the story of Christ. It's the harmony of the Gospels but put in very modern language and just as as a narrative of the whole story of Christ. And we found out about it, and uh, they shipped us free of charge, I think something like 10,000 copies of this little booklet. And so we started handing those out to people who were coming through our parking lot. So we have a gift for you in addition to the food. We got not only the, the, the food, but we got the, the bread, but the bread of life, you know. So um, one day our truck, didn't show up. Our semi-truck with all the groceries was late, and it was like two or three hours late. Cars were lined up all the way down our street and clear to the freeway exit, which is a couple a mile or so from us. And I was getting really concerned that, you know, we had told people, come and get this food, and it wasn't here, and we're waiting for it. So I'm going car to car to just tell people, we're so sorry. Maybe you could turn around and go home and come back in an hour or two, and the truck should be here, and I'll be ready. But people didn't want to leave. They said, no, we'll wait. It's fine. And I must have made two or three rounds, probably about a mile long. The cars were backed up. And I noticed that people were sitting there reading this little Bible because our our volunteer team just went out and just started talking to people and praying over them in their cars and handing them this Bible and so on, or this story of Jesus. And I walked by in about the third or fourth car that I was apologizing to. They're reading this story. It's like the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I got this. <laughs> you know. So finally the truck did show up. But, wow, we were able to get the word of God, not just feed people's stomachs, but feed their spiritual needs uh, into thousands of people during that time. It was just really fun. It was great. And, you know, at the end of the day, we know that God's word doesn't go out and return to him void, but it accomplishes his will, his good pleasure. And I think that that active sense of engagement with the community and and really demonstrating Christ's love 
As a natural extension. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, God says he's so concerned with us, he even has the number of hairs on our head counted. Although, in the case of some of it, that job is for him is getting easier and easier as time goes by. But I'm, I'm just struck by this idea that, that that sense of addressing felt needs and spiritual needs really works hand in hand and, and maybe is something that the broader church needs to be given more consideration to, and I would imagine especially so with today, so much confusion going on in our world around us, and the uptick in crime that, that's astonishing, and then people suffering economically because of the current recession, what's happening with inflation, the impact of COVID. I mean, it, it would seem to me, Terry, if there is a point in the calendar that is uniquely designed for the church to be able to be there and to present that that answer uh, for the hope that lies within. This is a very special, unique period in history. W- would you agree? I agree. You know, <clears throat> I believe this COVID crisis and the political turmoil that we've been walking through the past few years has been like a refining fire for the church. Uh you know, the, the Bible tells us that he he uh, cleans up his church before he cleans up the world, you know. So, uh, and it reminds me when the three Hebrew children were thrown into the fire by a godless Babylonian king. They weren't consumed because the fourth figure, God's son, walked through the fire with them. So I believe that we need to put our hope in Jesus Christ alone and uh, refocus, recenter on who Jesus is and what he's about. And stop getting fired up about our culture wars and politics. People are attracted to Jesus, not our cultural traditions. So just keep it simple, keep it real. And I believe that people are hungry. We are seeing not only our church come back in person from COVID, but we are seeing a lot of new people coming back, unchurched people coming back. So I believe people are hungry, but they, they're hungry for the real Jesus, the real thing. And uh, they're very attracted by compassion. Is this a time, in a sense, then, in your opinion, for there to be a bit of a, um, I'll use the reset, uh, maybe a better term would be revival for the church in, in terms of, and I'll give you an example. There's a lot of debate today going on in the arena of education. And one of the big complaints that we're hearing literally from Florida to California is there seems to be so many distractions taking place that the children are suffering because we're forgetting the fundamental basics. You know, when we were kids, the three R's, reading and writing and arithmetic, right? I'm wondering yeah. if the same thing, in a sense, as I think you're suggesting is true for the church, that we really need to look at the position we're in in this time in history and look at a, the necessity for a revival or a reset back to the fundamentals of the faith, because it's so easy for us to get pulled into this vortex of politics and debates over wear a mask, don't wear a mask, meet in person, never meet in person again, all of this going back and forth. And and, and somehow within the realm of the church, it, it almost seems as if the message of sin, salvation, sanctification is getting lost by all these distractions. Well, I agree. And in fact, I did a series just recently called Reset <laughs> and uh, addressed some of those issues. But, uh, you know, we just came through our Easter season. And of course, you every church swells a little bit during that time. And fortunately, with people who are on the journey, they're not quite there yet. Uh, and uh, so especially this year, 
I just kind of geared my mind to to speak to people as if they had no knowledge of Jesus Christ and bring a message of the simplicity of the gospel. And I thought, you know, you're going to bore your own congregation. But, you know, I got more response for this this Easter's message than I ever have before and, and, and ever before from people. Both uh, mature Christians have been in the church a long time, new believers, seekers that really appreciated the simplicity of the gospel message, just clearly returning. And, and certainly we need to be relevant. We need to understand that we're communicating to a whole new generation and be careful not to use a lot of our, our familiar religious idioms and make sure we're communicating. All those things are important. The methods change. The message never changes. But we certainly need to keep up upgraded with uh, understanding our culture, understanding who they are, what their needs are, and knowing how to address the gospel to those specific needs. Now, what do you say to the person who says, Pastor Inman, I understand all of that, but, you know, unlike yourself, I- I've not studied, you know, theologically in any formal setting. I'm not even really good at scripture memorization, and so I, I feel hampered in sharing my faith, and so I kind of feel as if that that job ought to be left up to the professionals, to the evangelists, to the pastors like yourself, because I I'm just ill-equipped to 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 share my faith. What do you say to that individual? Well, I would just say what what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, you know, I'm going to send you my power to be witnesses. He didn't say I'm going to make you preachers or I'm going to make you expositors or I'm going to make you you know teachers or whatever. A witness is just somebody who who has a valid experience and can tell that story. So what we tell Archer, we don't tell people they got to memorize a bunch of scriptures or understand theology or whatever. They just need to be able to tell their own personal story. People are attracted to stories. And when they hear what Jesus Christ means to someone personally, what he's done in their lives, what changes he's brought in their lives, just tell your own story. That's what it means to be a witness. And we're empowered by the Spirit to know how to apply that story to that person that we're talking to. And we, we, I've, I have found so many times when all of a sudden people are telling their own story and it gets kind of changed a little bit and they didn't know why. And that's because the, the Holy Spirit was leading them to, to really identify with that individual they're talking to and that individual's need to know what they needed to hear. So uh, I think, again, keep it simple and just tell your own story. If you want to attach a couple of scriptures to it, great, that works. Uh, that's why it's good to memorize scripture and read the scriptures. And but you know we don't always have to have to have some kind. Of, I know we used to train people years ago in methods of evangelism that you know taught some kind of you know four spiritual laws or whatever it was, and those things are good. But the most thing, the best thing, I think, is just to know your own story and share it with people. You know, and and I think what kind of, you know, underscores that beyond Scripture reminding us, you know, we're overcomers by the Word and the power of our testimony. But the notion, too, that if we think back about our own spiritual journey and our own coming to Christ— we're visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Now, Pastor Inman, let's pick up where we left off just a couple of moments ago. I would imagine that many people, even eavesdropping on our conversation today, would say, well, I had this co-worker, I had a friend, I had a family member. There was someone in their sphere of, of day-to-day interaction that shared their story 
in such a powerful way that it resonated with us, and the Holy Spirit used that seed that was planted to then water it and germinate it so that eventually we ourselves would surrender our lives to Christ. And so in in that regard, I think if a lot of folks just refer back to their own spiritual journey, would probably recognize, yeah, you know what, come to think of it, it wasn't a great theologian that has a, you know, a DR in front of his name and, and strings of letters behind his name. It was just a neighbor who one day came to me and started talking about Jesus and here I am today. So maybe, again, that kind of goes back to that heart of that, that reset or returning back to the fundamentals. Well, I agree. And I think, like you said, with, with Christ, compassion was what motivated most of what he did. You know, a few years ago, I was praying. I said, Lord, what should we be doing as a church? And felt like the, what came back to me was do what you're going to be judged for. And I was led to Matthew 25. You know, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. Uh, I was naked. You clothed me. That whole, there's six things in that passage. And I spent a few days in prayer and, and a yellow pad and a pen. And it just began to write down how the church could address those six areas, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And so uh, I, I've kind of geared my ministry around those things ever since that. And a lot of the things that we get involved in as a church, for instance, uh We've been praying about the situation in Ukraine, and uh, so I had a gentleman come in who's involved there, and uh, we we took an offering and we, we raised enough money just to to pay for three vans that are now going to be operating on the border of Poland and Ukraine, picking up refugees that are extremely vulnerable right now, women and children, elderly, picking them up, and then also delivering food into Ukraine to people who are who are starving. And uh, so these are the kinds of things that we get motivated to do. Our, our people are excited about it. And uh, I'm going to be going over there myself in just uh, a couple of days. And we will uh, we'll be seeing what's happening. And we're going to be ministering to, I think, two or 300 pastors that have, have just opened their churches up to be safe houses for refugees that need a place to go. And we're going to be supplying them food and supplies and medical supplies through these vans. So... Uh, our church, they've been hearing this from me for many years. They get excited about ways that we can really connect with people's felt needs in the community and also globally. Well, and, I, and I love that practical sense of engagement. I mean, how often so many of us pick up the newspaper or look at the evening news and listen to a story and think somebody ought to do something and we can maybe, you know, shake our fist at the TV set um, and, and, and typically it kind of ends there. We might, you know, therefore go through a string of names of politicians that we think should be doing something to make a difference. But I have to wonder if God doesn't look down at his church as often as we'll say, well, we're just waiting on God. I wonder how often God is in the heavens looking down at us saying, you know, I've given you my word. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you my son. What more than you do you need? You're waiting on me. In reality, I'm waiting on you to, to take up your mantle and get out there and go and be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Well, I think we get overwhelmed by all the needs in the world. Uh, so it's just so overwhelming that we don't do anything. But I think if we will just respond to the person in front of us through as we go through life, at work, shopping, neighborhood, wherever we are, 
if we just begin to what Jesus often when it says Jesus had compassion at first it says he saw them and then he had compassion and we just need to keep our eyes open and we need to keep sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just be ready to minister to the person in front of you and uh, that's all the Lord's asking he's not asking me to reach the whole world he's asking me to reach my world that one in front of me yeah, and if we can get a little practice starting in Judea, right, <laughs> and then yeah. move to Samaria, and, and ultimately I think God will not only equip us, but give us the burden for the other most parts of the earth, and that certainly is demonstrated through what's going on at Harbor Light. I want to pivot for a moment, Pastor Inman, to some of your own personal journey, give our listeners a, a bit of a glimpse into the, the story behind you, and I think it's, it's, it's of great value, particularly for young families listening, to know that you and your wife, Mary, that have partners together in ministry since uh, late 60s, early 1970s, and have raised, uh, well, more than a basketball team <laughs> worth of boys, and I understand all of whom, in varying degrees, are active in ministry. Tell us more about that part of your own personal life story. Well, Mary is a wonderful partner. She's also an ordained minister and serves on our staff. We have seven sons. They're all married, and they uh, most of them live in California. One of them is on staff at Life Church in Oklahoma City. I think they only have about sixty or 70,000 members, so he's, he's trying to pastor that or help pastor along with many others, a great church there. And uh, then I've got uh, a son that is, works with us here in Fremont, is our executive pastor. And uh, they have another son that's in ministry in Nevada, pastors a church in Nevada. Uh, other sons, we have seven, I think I said that. And uh, they're, they're involved in business, but they're all active in church and active in ministry. Uh, we have 31 grandchildren. And, uh, you know, for the rest of our lives, if that's all we focused on, that'd be really worth our time. But they're great, great kids. People usually take their breath when I say 31 grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. We also have Christmas savings accounts. And some some listening right now are thinking, you know, if this were television, out would come all the photographs. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But we keep them on our phones wherever we go, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, In your opinion, what has been the... The secret sauce, so to speak, in terms of successfully raising more than a basketball team worth of kids, uh, seven boys, which, you know, folks know oh, raising one can be a challenge. Raising seven, oh, my goodness. Well, it, it, I'll, quote, I'll, I'll quote my kids. I'll quote my sons. I've heard them say it before when they've been asked questions like that. And they said, well, dad and mom were the same, as, same at home as they were at church. And so uh, I think the faith that we passed on to him was not just uh, showtime, wasn't just religious. It was real. It was they, they saw our mistakes. Uh, they saw our passion. They saw our relationship. They saw our weaknesses, our strengths. And we gave them something. I, I think we've tried to give them something real to go by. So all of them are serving Christ. We're very proud of them. How much work has it been? In a good way, I mean this. How much work has it been in terms of of growing, nurturing, and protecting the relationship between you and Mary? And, and I pose that question because I think so often today, particularly as we look at the rate of divorce, both inside and outside of the church, is, is almost equal from a, from a percentile standpoint. And, and oftentimes, one of the things that we frequently hear is young couples struggle because they don't know how to model 
a healthy relationship because they never came from one, broken families, things of this sort. And so when they then become married themselves, there are oftentimes challenges because they really don't know how a healthy relationship looks. So I'm I'm curious for you, what what has been sort of the, the, the key there in terms of raising seven boys, pastoring an enormous church, a very active church in Fremont, yet all the while protecting, preserving, and nurturing the relationship between you and Mary? Well, you know, we've, we're not perfect. Uh, I think about halfway through my ministry, I went through a personal crisis. It affected my ministry, it affected my marriage, but God was gracious to us, and we were not afraid to look for counsel. We reached out for over a year uh, and did some personal counseling, and it helped us work through our hurt and our issues, our losses, and, and move forward. And I learned at that point, you know, I, I think early in the ministry, I just felt like I was supposed to respond to everybody's need, no matter when it was, three o'clock in the morning, you know, whatever, and that the church was, you know, the most important thing I should be. I think I, I, I confused uh, my relationship with God with my ministry, thinking that, you know, that ministry had to be the first thing. And that's not the case. God's first, my wife and my relationship with her is part of that. Part of my, my worship of God is to have a, a strong connection with her. The Bible's pretty clear about, you know, why, why would you want to pastor the church if you can't pastor your own family first, right? So, and somebody said to me one time, let your wife be the first to say that you're a man of God. <laughs> so, uh, so that crisis really helped me refocus and really realize that, that my marriage and my family was really critical. And if I had to say no to a lot of things, and a lot of people, which you have to do, you have to have boundaries in ministry. And uh, so even though I had a lot of responsibility, but I'm just going to add, you know, one of the blessings for us is that we, we pastored in Vallejo for about 10 years and we had a Christian school there. And now I've pastored here for 27 years and we have a Christian school here. And having a church with a Christian school on campus really helps support our family and our ministry uh, for our kids to be engaged in, the, in, in a Christian school. Uh, you know, it's not the panacea. It doesn't fix everything. But it certainly was, was you know, I, I sat right here in my office. I look out the window. Our campus is right across the parking lot. And anytime my boys needed my attention, I could just walk across the parking lot. We would, we would go to, we'd drive to the campus together in the mornings at the school and have a lot of conversations. So there are ways to pastor your family and pastor your church without those things coming in conflict with each other but it takes a lot of work and and i think that that formula is certainly true not only for those engaged in full-time ministries such as yourself but any father any mother for that matter and you can yeah. just substitute paying too much attention to the ministry and allowing the family relationship to suffer as you can paying too much attention to the business and being at the office too much and, and thinking that yeah. that's your first priority or using the escapism well i'm doing this i'm working 80 hours a week for my family which is typically nothing more than just an excuse yeah that's right that's right well you know i think as, as men, we tend to be focused on our, our work, we, we are, are, you know, our skill set and being a success. And, you know, it's kind of that hunter thing. We big big part of our by. identity. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we yeah, identify yeah. as insert name of job here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when your wife says, do you love me? I said, well, yeah, I'm bringing home the paycheck. Well, that's not what she's asking. You, <laughs> you know, she's asking you, are you going to listen? Uh, can I hear what's in your heart? 
so my wife and I have interesting conversations about those things a lot of the time. We're visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, Senior Pastor of Harbor Light Church in the city of Fremont. Pastor Inman, I want to pick up where we left off just prior to the break. Let's uh, let's pivot to um, the ministry of Harbor Light. For folks that are listening to our conversation today that are new to the Fremont area and they're looking for a new church home, uh, my goodness, we've talked about a lot of the diversity in terms of the, the makeup of the ministry of Harbor Light, but there's equally amount of, of diversity in terms of all of the offerings. You've got small groups, a prayer team, you've got children's ministry, young adults ministry, e- even ministry for old folks like me. So kind of give us a quick snapshot shot, if you would. Well, a couple of things. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we have a strong focus on compassion. We, we talk about four purposes of our church. One is rescuing people, another word for salvation, rescuing people. And we really focus, try to help people that are walking through storms to find safe harbor in Christ. And so that's our approach to evangelism is connecting people with, like I said earlier, with felt needs of people. And then, of course, once you've been rescued, uh, you, you, you need to be recovered. And, uh, you know, if you fall out of the boat with cold water, you've got to get some warm clothes back on. You got, and so even a lot of Christians are going through recovery issues. So we have a, a strong focus on recovery here at the church. We have a Celebrate Recovery ministry that is designed for people who have hurts and hang-ups and just need to walk through life-controlling issues. Or maybe they're part of a family that has those issues. And we probably have one of the, the strongest and largest Celebrate Recovery groups in the Bay Area. Uh, and it's just going really well. We also have recovery groups for people who are walking through grief, grief recovery or through losses. Uh, we also have a divorce recovery groups that we have here from time to time throughout the year for people who are walking through. They feel like they've got that big D in their forehead. But, you know, God loves them and wants to restore them and has a a life for them. So a lot of we have a lot of groups that are focused uh, around that, around recovery. And, of course, we're also wanting to disciple people here. And so we do that through our small group structure. We have a lot of small groups that meet and we just look for two or three simple things. People to get together with other believers They will pray together. They will share their life journey together. And then we'll hold each other accountable and and show loving acceptance to one another. So fundamentals could, of discipleship. Yeah, yeah. Now the group might form around a whole lot of different issues, needs, or Bible studies, or prayer groups, or biking groups, or volleyball team, or whatever it is the group is. But we encourage them to have those elements of prayer, mutual support for their spiritual journey, spiritual growth, and so that's how we disciple people in the church. So if they come here. They can go beyond just a, you know, certainly we love people to come on a Sunday morning and worship together. We have very exciting worship. Uh, that took on a whole new level during during COVID uh, because of needing to go online. So uh, our worship experience, both both in person and online, is uh, is really exciting. And then, of course, we, we preach the word. We try to make the word practical to people's lives, what people are dealing with in their lives every day. I, I always think about the people I'm talking to. I don't want to just give them a lot of theology. I don't want to just 
uh, a lot of idealism, but make every message practical of what people are walking through every day. What what is going to change? What is that person going to take from our church that's going to make their life different? That's going to bring change to them. It's going to bring transformation to them in their life. So uh, the other thing is that we're a, even though I wouldn't say we're a huge church, we're probably a medium-sized church, but most people might be might think it's large. Our auditorium seats about two thousand. We don't have that many packed in there because we, we, we remodeled it and we're using chairs now so we can spread it out. People feel a little safer when they come together that way. But they are going to feel loved and accepted when this place – it's in the DNA. It's in the air. They're going to feel the acceptance and the love of people when they come in this place set first. And that they're also going to feel the presence of God. Our, our worship is very focused on not trying to entertain but bring people into – the presence of God. That's very important to us. I, I really feel like most people who are going to venture out and go to a church expect to connect with God there. That's where they want to connect with God. And so we do everything we can do. We're not just trying to put on a music concert or a show or, you know, great expositor, pre, expositor great preacher or something like that. But we want to connect people with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that because it, it's not only demonstrative of the practical application of God's word, but the practical demonstration of God's love in, in that very engaging, almost tactile manner. And as we spoke of earlier, it, it really is modeled after the way Christ established that model during his ministry here on earth. I understand that uh, you're back to meeting in, in person Sunday mornings at 1030 yes. a.m. Are you also continuing the online services? Yes, we are. And we have, we, it's really been exciting to see how many people are joining us online. We focus primarily uh, regionally with that. You know, we're, we're, we're not trying to become some kind of international online church. Uh, and I'm not against those models. Those are fine. But we are trying to, to offer something. I, I think what happens is that people uh, oftentimes will watch you online, maybe even for weeks before they actually show up. And so, that's we've had a lot of people come in and say, yeah, I've been watching you online. Uh, I had one of our city council members recently say, I've been watching you online for the last couple of years. And now what do I need to do to join the church? And now they've joined and they're part of the church. So it's great. Wonderful. Well, you know, it, it's as scripture exhorts us, you know, uh, all things to all men that we might win some. So whatever the methodology exactly. is to get out there and get the word out and love people in Jesus name, yeah. that's the key. We're yeah. visiting today with Pastor Terry Inman, senior pastor of Harbor Light Church in Fremont. They meet at 4760 Thornton Avenue, conveniently right off the 880 freeway in Fremont. And you can get more information about service times. As we mentioned, they have an in-person service, also online, Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. But as as you've heard Pastor Terry share, there is so much diversity in terms of programs and participation and opportunities to not only be ministered to, but to engage in ministry, that we invite you to do two things. First, check them out online harborlight.com that's harborlight.com or why not if you're new to the bay area plan on making a visit this sunday at 10:30 a.m. again at 4760 Thornton Avenue in the city of Fremont and you made reference earlier maybe you can say a brief word too about your school yeah fremont christian school's been here uh over 50 years i think 54 years something like that uh currently we're running about 6 to 700 students 
and of course, we went through some huge adjustments uh, during COVID also. For instance, our preschool that normally ran, oh, about 180 or something like that, went down to 30 overnight. But uh, now it's coming back strong, I think over 100 or more, and uh, the school is coming back strong. It's back in person. And uh, it's always been a really strong Christian school in this region, and it's growing, and we've got a great faculty. The school also reflects the, uh, the values of the church, in, in provide, especially in the area of diversity, and also providing people love and acceptance and moral values along with Christian education. So it's really great to be able to serve our community in this way, serve all of our churches in the community this way. And uh, we just really treasure the opportunity to serve along with Fremont Christian School. And uh, certainly if you're in the greater Fremont area, parents listening that maybe you've grown frustrated with what's happening in the government schools, this might be a very encouraging alternative for your child's education, Fremont Christian School. Again, more information available about the Ministry of Harbor Light by going to harborlight.com. That's harborlight.com. Pastor Terry Inman, what a privilege and delight to spend some time with you today. Hey, good to see you again and enjoyed our conversation. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.